Yes, it's me, Jamie Lang from Made in Chelsea, and you have stumbled across the Made in Chelsea podcast. Now, I know I'm a pretty charming guy, all right? And people come up to me and go, hey, Jamie, <laughs> how do you do it? And I tell them, be enthusiastic about meeting people. And most importantly, always be ready to smile. So make sure yours are looking the best with Sensodyne. It's designed to help care for sensitive teeth. The MIC Drop is proudly sponsored by Sensodyne. Here for the hashtag sensitive moments on Made in Chelsea. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me are... Devendra Hardwar, Jeff Kanata, and Christy Pachko. Welcome to the show everyone. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Um, today we're going to be discussing what we've been watching and then we're going to bring you two full-on reviews. Uh, we're going to be reviewing Blind Spotting, and then we're going to be reviewing Christopher Robin, a.k.a. Jeff's Salvation for the summer movie wager. Or not, you know, as the case may be. <laughs> so a quick word on the summer movie wager, which is the annual wager, wherein we try to guess uh, the top 10 films according to domestic box office. And uh, Jeff, I think you're the only one that put Christopher Robin in, in his top 10. And yes. the, the, it's fair to say we were inundated, <laughs> inundated with uh, people who supported you by tweeting ticket stubs of themselves going to see Christopher Robin uh, at the box office, you know, going to see it's it in theaters. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful. It was a real grassroots effort. Uh, it does For this big work. studio movie of a known yeah. property with A-list stars. <laughs> it, um, <laughs> I appreciate everyone's, uh, everyone's outpouring of support. Uh, I will say this. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a little bit like... I do not wish to diminish the uh, the genuine goodwill that I received on 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 various social media platforms and the sweet nature with which people sent things. But it's a little bit to me like talking to a, a family member and they're like, "Why did you just uh, Why did you just audition for Better Call Saul? You would be great on that show. Why don't you just audition for that?" <laughs> okay. You know what I'm saying? In, in the sense that they're uh, fighting no some kind of losing battle? Work. They have no idea how things actually work. <laughs> I see, I see. Well, I, think, I, I think people were being a little tongue-in-cheek as well, as, I'm, as am I now. But uh, uh, your $12 <laughs> isn't going to move the needle. I appreciate it. It's very sweet. Uh, but uh, I feel like uh, yeah. I'm, I'm so, going down it. I'm going down in, in poo-covered flames. Mm, is what mm. So Christopher Robin took in $25 million at the box office this weekend. Uh, it will not make the top 10, meaning Jeff's list is doomed. And in fact, uh, all eyes right now are on the Meg because uh, Christy Puchko is mm-hmm. currently slated to win the summer movie wager unless <laughs> a movie unseats Mamma Mia 2 uh, as the number 10 movie of 2018 summer. Uh, and right now, no movie can do that except for possibly the Meg. I believe ex- in the Meg. It's extremely honestly. unlikely Sorry, that that's going to happen. Um, uh, it's you know, it's a thing that it, it's a cruel game because I love to root for a shark movie, and here we are, mm. where I'm rooting against it, 
in a pure, purely selfish endeavor because I have a movie I want to make you all watch. So mm-hmm. here's well, the you thing. know, here's my <laughs> thing though. The Meg is it, I've seen it. I have thoughts on it. You guys are going to talk about it next week while I'm on vacation, so you can have thoughts then. But I will say this: you could totally wait a couple of weeks to go see the Meg. It's totally <laughs> fine. And also, if you have Movie Pass, you should wait a couple of weeks because otherwise, you won't be able to. Mm-hmm. Well, you shouldn't wait a couple of weeks. I think. Um, is no, because Movie Pass with... isn't selling the Meg tickets. Oh, that's right. The first two weeks. That's right. You know, good point. Here's the point. here's the thing, Christy. <laughs> uh, I am not exaggerating when I say the entire world is rooting for you. Yes. <laughs> you don't All, know how serious this is. Yeah. Yes. Everyone who draws breath is rooting for you. Uh, there we, is we do a, not want I don't know. The hashtag anyone but Chen doesn't feel like it's especially about me. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> there is a there is a counter movement in the Slack film cast um to try and get the Meg into the top ten. Uh hashtag save Dave. Is what's happening? There. I don't think that's actually happening. I think that's you under several pseudonyms. Um, I, I cannot confirm or deny that. I cannot confirm or deny that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Jave Dan is not uh, is not subtle. He's bottom line, go see the Meg. I think is really what the the moral of this story is. But yeah, feeling pretty unlikely that Meg's going to break top ten, and uh, we'll see if it does. We'll see if it does. Uh, speaking of terrible mistakes I've made. Sometimes during the course of recording the podcast, uh, mistakes can be made, and words can leave my mouth. And as they're leaving my mouth, I'm like, "Oh, I wish I could just go and reach out and, and grab them back." You know, <laughs> I wish I, oh, I wish I could just just grab it, take it back. Um, but uh, you can't because once you've spoken it, it's it's out there forever. And I messed up royally on the last week's episode of the podcast when I. Uh, not not implied. I straight up said that uh, certain sequences in Mission Impossible Fallout were filmed using IMAX cameras. Of course, anyone with even an ounce of understanding of IMAX cameras knows that that is a ridiculous statement. Yeah, because they jumped out of a plane with an IMAX camera, Dave. That's what you were saying. <laughs> because yeah. IMAX cameras are extremely heavy and large, <laughs> um, and uh, that is not what they use to film some key sequences in Mission Impossible Fallout. Not only did I say the wrong thing, I corrected Devendra wrongfully. And so, of course... I'm used to that. There is nothing yeah. <laughs> left for me to do but uh, eat shit on today's episode of the podcast. And so, Devendra... I, I do have to say the thing I was going to say during the show before I was so quickly shot down... <laughs> Uh, because I, then I went off to try to find something to correct it, and then we just kind of went along with the review. Yeah. But it was really cool. It is really cool because they used 8K cameras, and they just blew up the image for those shots for yes. the uh, you know for the skydiving and some of the helicopter stuff. That's a really interesting technique, and I wonder if we'll see more of that in IMAX like going right. forward, especially as digital cameras get better. Yeah. Yeah. So they invented it's, these new kind of rigs to have these Panavision 8K cameras. Uh, and they're extremely light um, and, you know, they're portable, uh, relatively speaking, to, to the mm-hmm. quality of image that they could get. Um, and, yeah, it is interesting to, th- to think about, like, whether we're going to see more of that because uh, they are able to expand that image to fill the entire IMAX, um, uh, what do you call it, aspect ratio. So, mm-hmm. anyway, sorry, Devendra. I formally apologize publicly on the podcast. Totally my bad. Um, but yeah, they did film those sequences in digital and it, it does look different than the rest of the movie, which was filmed on film. Um, oh, okay. so yeah, all that said, let's move on to one other thing, uh, that I want to announce before we get to what we've been watching this week. And that is Avengers Infinity War. We were able to get Blu-ray discs of Avengers Infinity War this week and the Blu-ray releases on August 14th 
And uh, I got to say that uh, I, have, I have had a chance to look at this disc. Um, and I actually listened to the entire two and a half hour long commentary, uh, which I, I rarely do. When, when was the last commentary you guys listened to? Uh, can you guys even remember the last commentary you guys mm. listened to? Mm. No, it's, it's been, a been a while. Yeah. Uh, Who has that kind of time? <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, to be fair, I was doing other things. You know, like I was like, I, I put it on the background when I was like cooking or doing other things. You know what I mean? Um, Haven't you? I think we mentioned on a previous episode long ago this idea that they should release those as podcasts. Yeah. You, if I could just listen to an audio, uh, although there are a lot yeah. of, admittedly, there are a lot of uh, commentaries where they just forget to talk and they're we're just listening to the movie audio for a while. So that would be annoying. But I think the uh, the Movies Anywhere app, if some of them have the special features for those things. So I think you could just like hit play on the commentary in there. Mm. I'd be into that. For oh, some that'd movies, be neat. Yeah. I haven't tried that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, listen to the commentary, which features the, uh, features the Russo brothers, and I found it to be very illuminating. I, I don't know why. I don't know why I was drawn to this particular commentary, because it is a big investment of time to listen to a commentary. But I guess even though we were fairly critical of Avengers Infinity War during our review, uh, I still am really impressed with what they were able to achieve with that film. And the more I think back on it, the more I feel like that was such a bold decision. And we are living in a time right now. We're living in the time between the Infinity Wars, right? Or between, you know, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers 4. Uh, and it's a really special time because we have no idea yeah. how it's going to be. Infinity Purgatory, yeah, I guess. Yeah, and it just, it's, it's like a weird feeling um, because <laughs> there's so much uncertainty out there. But it's also like a, a unique feeling because at no other time in the history of mankind will people not know how Avengers 4 is going to end. Right? That's right. And, We've uh, waited and, thousands of years for this moment. <laughs> yeah. There's just nothing else like this. 19 yeah. movies of buildup yeah. and yeah. the 20th movie payoff. That's an yeah. extraordinary thing. And to be extremely vague about Avengers Infinity War without spoiling it, um, it kind of ends on a quasi-cliffhanger. One could one could easily argue that it's a cliffhanger that it ends on. I mean, I think it's – oh, I, th- I see what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, well, I really I, enjoyed I also, the commentary. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard good things about the commentary. I have not uh, delved into the commentary, although you talking about it makes me want to now. Um, but uh, I also received the uh, the 4K Blu-ray disc, and I excitedly jumped into the special features. And I gotta say, they're a little disappointing. They're a little disappointing. The special features. I, I think in general, I want to say. Uh, something even more broadly than just this particular set of special features. It bugs me, and it seems to be a a pretty common occurrence now, where the special features seem to be promotional material for the movie. Uh, They're like behind the scenes, but they're basically kind of snippets of interviews and and a featurette that is – it seems to be doing the job of selling me on the movie. Yeah. And yet I already own this movie. I'm watching the Blu-ray because I own it. Uh, and it seems like maybe these were put together for some other purpose. And then since they had spent the money to put them together, they then threw them on the Blu-ray. But I prefer real detailed behind the scenes footage. I, I you know, and the, the Avengers infinity war stuff is, is peppered with tastes of, behind the scenes footage to the extent that you realize there is a lot of behind the scenes footage they could be showing you, uh, but it is much more like 
scenes from the actual completed movie and then interviews of like, this is going to be the greatest thing. We just, we put so much effort into it and we worked really hard and you know, so many people's efforts came together to make this sequence. It's like, well, okay, tell me how, show me exactly what I go to those featurettes hoping to see a glimpse behind the scenes to see what went into creating these incredible sequences. And uh, I found from that perspective, the stuff on these discs was really disappointing to me. Yeah, I think there is this, you know, we were talking about if you compare the featurettes for Star Wars The Phantom Menace and Star Wars The Force Awakens, right? right. One is an extremely raw look, warts and all, at the making for of sure. a film. And the other one is uh, a, a super polished, everyone towing the company line, like, this. making this movie was the best experience ever with no problems, you know? Right. Uh, and that's just the way a lot of special features have evolved. And, um, you know, they, they, it's so frustrating to me because I know what goes into shooting the components for those featurettes, yeah. as I'm sure all we do, we all do. And you'll see like the costume designer and they'll show a maybe five second snippet of a, <laughs> of, a, of a line. And, you know, they sat down with them for several hours and interviewed them. And there's probably tons of in- interesting information. They don't just pull someone aside and get 15 seconds of of quote. They you ha- you sit down and you talk to them and you record all of it. And then they get like, you know, this is the biggest project I've ever worked on. And that's like all you get from the entire featurette from several key members of the production staff. And it's like, no, I want to know what went into the guy building the set. And I want to know what the stunt coordinator – what you know, inspiration he took and why he thought this character should move in this way. And I, I want to know how they did all this stuff. I mean, there's, there's little bits of that. And there's like the situation of, um, the Wakanda fight. Like they, they cut a, an actual river into this place in Wyoming, I guess. Like they built, they made a river where there wasn't one so they could shoot on a river. Uh, that's fascinating, but we don't see how they just say that they just go, Oh, we made a river here. And it's like, I want to know all of that. And it's very frustrating that these have become what feels like really packaged promotional materials rather than sort of, uh, you know, revealing the secrets of filmmaking. Well, do you think that might be because do you think they're spending less on promotional like on these kind of materials because DVD and Blu-ray is taking a backseat to people like buying stuff digitally? That's I'm asking genuinely because I haven't actually paid attention much to special features since I don't buy physical yeah, I think it's less arm. about that, and it's more just like there's there is no upside to yeah. showing yeah. a uh, troubled production. Like what? I what just, is? Well, they're not I, even I, troubled. Like what Jeff's asking for is behind the scenes details. Like recently, um, at the Alamo Draft House, they did a 25th anniversary screening of Hocus Pocus, and to prepare for that, because I was doing the Q and A with Kathy and Jimmy. I watched a bunch of special feature stuff back from 1993 and there was a ton of it that like had come on special feature things throughout the years that now were online because online. Um, and it was actually really interesting. I ended up going to that Q and a with like a better understanding of like how they made witches fly than she had. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, glib about that. She was basically like, I mean, yeah, I got on a rig and whatever. And I was like, did you know your puppets had human hair? And she was like, (laughs) did not know that. But like that kind of stuff to me was really cool growing up because it's part of what allowed me access to understanding filmmaking and, and the pat like in, in flamed my passion for it. So it's interesting to me that what Jeff's saying is it seems to be that this kind of content is falling off. And I'm asking why you guys think that might be. Yeah, I think, I think you make a great point. I mean, the, the thing the first job I ever 
fantasized about having was being a special effects artist. And that's because as a kid on VHS, my dad recorded from Showtime, I think, the Dark Crystal making of. That's a really good one. And the Return of the Jedi making of. And both of those I would watch over and over and over again. And they showed Phil Tippett with the puppets. And they showed, you know, it was fascinating stuff. And, And you get to see, like, oh, this is how the magic is made. And... I watched just recently, watched the uh, Mission Impossible, um, uh, what, I guess, Ghost Protocol was the one with the the uh, Dubai building stuff. Yeah. Um, and that is a fascinating look at what it took to shoot that sequence. Um, you really get a sense of all of the work they put into it and how difficult it was and how many windows they had to remove from the building and putting the cameras outside and what training crews did and all that stuff. Like I eat that stuff up. Like Christy's talking about it. It, it, it is inspiring. It is, it shows you why these movies cost what they cost. And, uh, I think perhaps it's because there's less value to, to these things. And, uh, we're in a digital age and people don't watch that stuff, but, I wish that wasn't the case. I wish there was an outlet for all this stuff. And I feel like if you put those things on a service, you know, if Disney ends up having a digital service, why not put cool behind the scenes features yeah. of I mean, your d- big digital movie? releases do get like all the same special features too. I haven't seen what's there for infinity war yet, but you know, it's there. Uh, I have noticed this trend of worse and worse special features. I just bought, uh, you were never really here. And mm-hmm. that thing has two quote unquote special features. One is a one minute clip of like a uh, red carpet commentary of, uh, of the director. And then the other is just like stills photo stills. That's it. Wow. That's Ridiculous. like, that's like early nineties style DVD content. Yeah. And I would have loved to hear so much about how that movie was edited and kind of how they adapted it. Uh, yeah. A lot of embarrassing stuff out there. Well, Jeff, I'm sorry you had a disappointing experience with the Avengers Infinity War Blu-ray. I will say, I think the commentary is great, and I actually think the deleted scenes on the uh, on the Blu-ray yeah. are actually really interesting as well. And the gag reel is lots of fun too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's some good stuff on there. Um, and after that entire windup of how disappointing uh, special features well, can be, I mean, the movie's great. <laughs> I, I love the movie. As of all of us, I certainly am the one who loved the movie, and and so yes, listeners. Go ahead. This Blu-ray can be yours. We are giving away <laughs> several copies of Avengers Infinity War, which, again, comes out on Blu-ray on August 14th. To enter to win a chance uh, to win a copy of this Blu-ray, all you got to do is email slashfilmcast at gmail.com with subject line Infinity War by Friday, August 10th, 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. U.S. and Canada only, no P.O. boxes. And in that email, you know, Avengers Infinity War has been called... The greatest crossover event of all time. And I want you to tell me what your greatest crossover event of all time is in that email. Um, doesn't have to be movies. Doesn't have to be, uh, you know, TV. Can be like any medium of any kind. Can be, you know, books. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Yeah. Greatest <laughs> crossover event of all time. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Re- what, what is that a com- combination of, Jeff? There's really? There's chocolate really? and peanut butter. There's peanut David butter. David Chen. Come uh, on. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. No, no, no. I, I didn't. I, I guess, Jeff, the, the concept of chocolate and peanut butter feel, it feels so intuitive that I wouldn't even think of that. Like, it's so why, right. Why is that, Dave? You why know? is that? It's because they it's, executed it so well, I think. It's because know? the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. You're welcome. Yes. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Okay. So uh, what is your greatest crossover event of all time? Again, email slash filmcast at gmail.com with subject Infinity War. 
Uh, by Friday, August 10th, 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. U.S. and Canada only, no P.O. boxes. Okay. Uh, and we'll, we'll give some away uh, by next week's episode of the podcast. Let's get to what we've been watching. Christy Puchko, you've been watching some stuff. I have been watching some stuff. So, not to get back into the summer movie wager, but I went to see T-Titans go to the movies. And, guys, it's really great. Um, I'm a little mad at all the DC people that didn't turn out for Teen Titans Go to the Movies, but fine. You guys don't want to support my picks? Fine. No, but, like, legit Teen Titans Go to the Movies, the concept is spun off from the show. The Teen Titans, uh, Robin, Starfire, Raven, Beast Boy, Cyborg, and who am I forgetting? No, I think that's all of them. Uh, They are upset because they live in a world where every superhero has a movie and they don't and they want one. And so it's their quest to get a superhero, a supervillain, like a nemesis, so they can have a superhero movie. And uh, it's actually really funny. And I really like the show Teen Titans Go. um, But I was curious how they were going to be able to blow like these 11 minute shorts that are often very silly into something bigger and more satisfying and i think they did a great job because basically there's is there a part where robin says fuck batman no there's not and people have been (laughs) making that joke and like look no the titans can do its own thing and be gritty and dceu dark and whatever uh this is so so lighthearted and silly but then also there are super dark moments and i won't spoil them here but if you go to pajiba uh i wrote about the darkest joke in this movie that still (laughs) Oh, it still delights me so much. It's so, so dark. It's great. But I won't get into it here. Uh, They released a clip online, but I know some people don't like to watch trailers and stuff, so I won't share it. But Teen Titans Go to the Movies is actually very fun because because it is within the concept of Robin wanting to be in a superhero movie, they get to have a lot of commentary on superhero movies that feels really natural. So there's like jokes about DCEU stuff. Like you saw in the one trailer, they mentioned the Green Lantern movie and they're like, but we don't talk about that. And like, then there's like deep cut stuff like Nick Cage is in it playing Superman. Huh? Mm. And his son Kal-El has, does voice work. Um, and there's um, just some really fun jokes about how the show works and everything. And then Wait, for n- people who. Nicholas Cage's actual son is named Kal-El? Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you not know oh, that? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, you know. He's yep. like deep, 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 deep in Superman. <laughs> Isn't um, it weird that Nicholas Cage would do something strange? Yeah. Are we that is bizarre. By this? Um, No, but this this movie is super fun. I think if you like the show, you'll love the movie. I think if you're not familiar with the show, you should probably check out the show first. Not because you'll be lost, but you'll have a kind of sense of the style of humor. But what's a running joke in it is that um, that the (laughs) Teen Titans aren't like serious enough to be heroes. (laughs) And so it has a lot of fun with that premise. And it's just very silly. And and like, if you know DC Comics, there's a lot more stuff you can get out of it because there's references and all these kind of things that zip by. But it was really fun. Uh, my husband tends not to go to screenings with me very often because <laughs> he's gone to some really bad ones. <laughs> and so usually he's like, what are you seeing this week? And I tell him and I'm like, do you want to be a plus one? And like <laughs> 90% of the time he's like, nah, pass. Um so, you know, it's like after a long day at work, he doesn't necessarily want to go with me to see whatever weird, depressing thing I might be seeing. But like Teen Titans Go, he was like, do you have a plus phone for that? So like we went together. We had such a good time. We were like giggling the whole way home. Uh, I really recommend Teen Titans Go. And I know some people hate Teen Titans Go because they blame it for the cancellation of the Teen Titans 2003 show. Um, 
you should be excited for this movie. I won't say why, but if you go to scifiwire.com, I I wrote about that specifically for fangirls and get into the spoilers there. But uh, yeah, I think Teen Titans fans will also be very pleased with this movie's existence. I got to ask you, uh, Christy, what is the worst film that you've gone to see with your husband? Like, what's what's oh. the movie that you're like, well, you know, at least it's not one of those again. Well, for, okay, not, like, I don't know what I would say is the worst one, but I remember he was, like, really bummed about Elysium. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that is bad. We yeah. were all bummed. Yeah, we were all yeah. Bad. I, I remember he came out and he was, like, pointing out all the plot holes and, like, I swear to God, like, all the other critic friends of ours were basically, like, taking notes because, like, he just, ha- he he's, I mean, he also works in the industry. I don't want to talk about him too much because I try to give him his privacy, but, uh... He is not a public figure, but he's really sharp with story and stuff. So Elysium drove him really crazy, and he was pretty I, bummed out. I appreciate how long ago he was burned and how that yeah. how that, like, <laughs> deep, that scar yeah, has the psychic gone. scars. Yeah, um, but no, he goes he goes to some stuff with me. I remember he wanted to go to the Meg, but like he couldn't get out of work in time, so he was pretty bummed he couldn't go see the Meg. But yeah, he like you know we're, he's good for like a, a yeah I don't know I don't want to try to speculate on the kind of movies he wants to go see but sometimes it's just an issue of scheduling and sometimes it's just an issue of him being like that sounds not like how i want to spend my monday and i'm like that's fair <laughs> like i don't really get that luxury of being like i don't feel like i'm in the mood to see this really upsetting political drama i just that's my job that's what i do tonight well that's teen titans go to the movies and i've actually heard it's a fun time um, despite the fact that it didn't make it into the top ten, uh, it's my it's my last week to to point that out, Christy, because your mm-hmm. your your victory is is imminent at this point. So we'll um, see. I don't I don't want to call it too soon, but you know, knock on wood. Uh, yeah, we'll see. But I, I mean, like Teen Titans that... go to the movies regardless of summer movie wager. I think it is super fun, and I feel like if you have young kids, like they had like children in the audience with us, and they were having such a good time because the you know it moves really fast and there's a lot going on, so they're not going to get bored. Uh, Jeff, what were you going to say? I was going to say the fact that that she even put Teen Titans on her list and can still win <laughs> is a testament to how bad the rest of us oh, are. Oh yeah, we're we're all awful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, terrible. Not even yeah. not even close to getting it right. So, um, okay, Christy, what else are we watching? Um, this weekend, I caught up with a very English scandal, which is a miniseries on Amazon Prime. And uh, it was something I kind of heard about in passing a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh, I like Hugh Grant. I like Ben Wishaw. Let's do this. Uh, and I did not know anything about uh, there was once a British Liberal Party leader named Jeremy Thorpe. And he had a huge scandal that involved his gay lover. And this was a big deal because in the time of their affair, uh, being gay was illegal in England. And it's a historical docu-comedy. It's quite fun. It's quite quite English. Uh, The sense of humor is, is kind of cheeky and fun and... But it's also dealing with these issues of um, about being closeted and about when when your society uh, shuns gay people, how it, how it affects society and not just these men who are being shunned, but also like the ripple effects it has throughout, you know, their lives and the lives of the people who love them. And um, it's really great. I, I mean, like I've turned it on kind of out of an idle curiosity and um, it's. Uh, directed by Stephen Frears, written by uh, John Preston and Russell T. Davies. So there's like a lot of names that like should get you excited about the concept. 
Um, and I don't know, I fell for it really fast and I enjoyed it so much that once I watched it, I kind of just wanted to put it on again because like the energy is so interesting and, and the story it had to tell was so fascinating and the way it works its politics in feels natural but also subtle like it's not forcing its message down down your throat it's it's really kind of allowing you to fall into this world and meet these people and um there's also just a lot of great english actors watching it that i was getting excited watching because it's like i watch a lot of british tv as we've talked about before and i was like watching being like who's that girl and i was like she's from torchwood and it was just really fun to kind of have those discoveries as i watched it but uh yeah it's on amazon prime uh, I won't get into the history aspects too much because I feel like most of your listeners are American. And so you probably don't know anything about this because I sure as heck did not. And uh, learning about it was really fascinating and fun and interesting. And I, um, yeah, I just thought it was great. And it's a, it's like, it's both a role that Hugh Grant is like totally perfect for and also one I didn't expect him to play because it's a slightly different version of Cad than he tends to play. And uh, he's great in it. And Ben Wishaw's charming and interesting. And it's just such a, I don't know, it was a real surprise. Like, it was something I kind of threw on in a whim and was just completely enraptured by. Very cool. That's a very English scandal. And it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, okay, I want to mention something real quick. Have you all heard of The Staircase? The oh, yeah. Netflix, yep. now Netflix original series. It used to be, I think, on Hulu, I want to say. Um, but it is now on Netflix and has three is, is additional episodes. Is it just episodes. that same thing, or did they like re-release There's it? three new episodes. Yeah, okay. they, they, released, they re-released the original ten episodes of The Staircase, okay. and then they, they uh, I guess, commissioned three additional ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the Staircase, for those who don't know, is a 2004 French television miniseries by Jean-Xavier de l'Estrade, uh, and I'm going to talk about the premise of The Staircase like, and, and everything you find out in the first like 30 minutes. So if you don't want to hear that, then skip ahead. But um, it documents the trial of Michael Peterson, who is convicted of murdering his wife, Kathleen Peterson. Uh, and essentially, like, it, it, you know, what, they're, they're hanging out. Michael Peterson and Kathleen Peterson are hanging out one night. And uh, then um, Kathleen Peterson ends up dead at the bottom of the stairs. There's blood everywhere. And, uh, I mean, it looks terrible. It looks, it looks mm-hmm. clearly like some crime occurred here. Um, and they do show crime scene photos. A so heads up to people who are sensitive to that. Yeah, they show a lot of crime scene photos. They show, like, you know, everything that happened. Like, it looks bad. It looks really damning. Um, it does not look like an accident. But Michael Peterson maintains... Um, it was an accident. It, uh, there, there is no physical proof that he did anything wrong. And uh, that's kind of what the whole documentary the, – the documentary is about all the stuff that unfolds after that. Um, there is a court case and other th- developments that I won't give away. Um, and actually, Jeff Kanata, uh, when we first talked about making a murderer, uh, a few people emailed in and they said, hey, like, making a murderer is fine. Um, but you should really watch the staircase, you know. I remember, yeah. yeah. And uh, it feels weird. And to, we like, got right uh, on that. We got right on that. <laughs> yeah, we do, totally did. Uh, it feels really weird to compare true crime documentaries, you know, because uh, at the end of the day, they are not simply entertainment. They are uh, documenting actual people's lives and and the tragedies that unfold within them. Uh, I will say that uh, the staircase is a really amazing piece of documentary filmmaking. Uh, the access that they got uh, is pretty incredible. 
I don't think any other documentary I've seen goes as in-depth into the building of a defense and then showing you how the defense plays out in court than The Staircase does. Uh, but it is clearly told from the perspective of Michael Peterson, and it's clearly in the tank for Michael Peterson. It's very, very much rooting for Michael Peterson. Um, there seems to be very little doubt in the filmmaker's mind that uh, Michael Peterson is innocent. And to further support that position, uh, one of the filmmakers, the editor, I believe, actually had a relationship, had an affair with Michael Peterson during the making of the documentary. So, and by the way, that affair is not disclosed during the entire documentary. So you just um, (laughs) need to just take it on an article of faith that they're being impartial. Um, But... Uh, this is a thing where I thought, hey, you know, uh, let's just start. Let's just put this on, see what this is all about. And I did that on Thursday, and by Sunday, I had finished the entire thirteen hours. Oh wow! Uh, wow. I've never gotten through that one, and like, I'm a true crime buff, but that doc just, I, can't, I don't know, I can't with that one. I mean, it is yeah. nonstop <laughs> tragedy, really. Like, it, like it's not just that though. It, it's like you said, it's just so icky because they're like they're constantly around the Peterson family, but it's like it doesn't. I don't necessarily have a problem with the documentary feeling impartial because I feel like, frankly, when you're dealing with a lot of these things, they aren't impartial. You like a lot right. of this mm-hmm. stuff. You have to make a judgment call because the facts aren't going to tell you everything. But I take issue when a documentary chooses not to acknowledge that. And I feel yeah. like the documentary is giving you hints that it's in the tank for Michael, as you put it. But as you said, like it doesn't want to own up to it. And like it just it it made me sick watching that documentary <laughs> because I just. I don't know if he did it or not, but the movie, the movie makes me, the, that miniseries makes me so uneasy because it just, it's giving him the benefit of the doubt so much. And like, even when they bring up the stuff that happened in Germany, like I, I was losing my mind and it felt like I was on my own because the documentary is like, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people die on staircases. And I was like, do they do a lot of people? Like, what are we talking about? The leading killer of people in the U.S. is staircases. <laughs> I mean, that's effectively, know? I'm honestly yeah. just shocked. The only thing they didn't seem to go into, and I didn't watch all of it, but it's like they never went into the owl theory, which is like the most notorious aspect uh-huh, of this case. Uh-huh. I've heard of that and I haven't even seen this thing. Uh, exactly. I do have to say, though, that relationship sounds like some next level true crime documentary stuff. Like, uh, I'm the middle of having intercourse with this man right now. Let's see what he has to say about Season it. three of Serial. I, yeah. do wanna, I don't I mean to imply Car- Sarah Koenig would never. That was a dumb joke. I'm sorry. But no, any like anyone. Yes. I do want to see a documentary about the the woman that does a documentary about the dude that killed his wife and is like, I'm kind of into him. Uh, I need to know more about I her. Mean, that's a thing. That's I know it's like, a thing, and I need to see a documentary about that thing. Is it a documentary weird. about the people watching the documentary about the woman who made about you know? Yeah, documentaries all the way down. Just documentaries. Yeah, so I think uh, it's totally logical. And just so you know, Christy, my uh, my wife, who actually used to live in near the area where this crime took place, and and heard about this case every day for months on end. Um, you know, uh, she had the exact same position as you. She's like, I can't, I can't watch this. I can't deal with this because she already lived through it. So she's, she doesn't mm-hmm. need to go revisit it. I don't mean to imply it's a moral position. I, he just, <laughs> it made me very uncomfortable. And like, I was just like, I can't do with this. Well, I think what, what, uh, great true crime document, despite all of, uh, this documentary's failings. And there are some in terms of the information it chooses to leave out and chooses to leave in. Um, what great true crime documentaries do, in my opinion, is, uh, leave you, the viewer, the space to decide whether you believe the person did it or not. And I actually feel this documentary does that. I, I get to the end, 
and I, um, I, I still don't know whether or not he did it, you know, and, um, and I, and this documentary allows you to draw your own conclusions. And I, and I like that. I think that's true of a lot of great true crime documentaries like making a murder did the same thing, you know? Um, so all that said, I think it's, it's worth checking out, but with the caveats that, uh, the filmmakers are certainly entangled with the subject and the entire thing might gross you out. So, uh, that's the staircase. It's on Netflix and, um, and I do think, by the way, that the additional three episodes uh, do not feel opportunistic to me. Like, they don't feel – what I mean by that is, like, it doesn't feel like they had no story and they just dragged it out in additional three episodes. Like, there there was more story to tell and the three episodes tell that story. Um, mm. So do want to give a shout-out to those. So that's The Staircases on Netflix right now. That's what I've been watching this week. Devendra Hardwar, what have you been watching this week? Uh, yeah, a couple of things. Uh, so I hurt my back, and that stinks because when you do that – the only way to really fix it is just to like lie down. Yeah, and Devinder, my heart went out for you when days. I saw those tweets. Like I have thrown out my back as well. Yeah. Not and great. It is the most depressing experience because um, not only are you like you have no energy to do things, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not even like you can lie in bed and feel great about life. It's like you just you just don't even feel like you know it's it's yeah. just debilitating. So I, I my heart goes out to you. I hope you heal up soon, dude. It's not great. Part. It's uh yeah yeah. I would say the worst part was that he threw it out when he saw the odds of Dave Chen winning the summer movie later. <laughs> it just knocked so me So it was literally face. injury to insult? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Nice. Nice, Christy. Uh, the good thing about laying down all weekend, though, like I literally just didn't leave the house since Friday, uh, is I was able to catch up on a bunch of TV shows. And one we haven't really mentioned yet is Succession on HBO and I was fully caught up and, uh, you know, just in time to see the finale last night. And I just have to say, uh, you guys, all of you and our listeners should be watching succession. Um, this is a show, um, like in broad strokes, it's a show about a media empire family, uh, headed up by, uh, Brian Cox, who is just like, you know, a Titan in media, but he's getting on in the years and his children are trying to figure out their ways to kind of, uh, get themselves into the business and you know try to succeed him um this show starts off seeming like it's just another uh, uh i don't know what you call it like uh you know rich people porn type story like wealth wealth porn or something and it quickly transforms into something very different and i think it's really interesting like what it does uh i gave billions a shot you know a couple years ago and i hear that show got better over time but I was never really into like how it was that show was really into the glam of that life and, you know, bad people being bad people, but also like really reveling in it in a way. Uh, Whereas this show, uh, this entire family is filled with sociopaths. And what's really interesting is seeing how they all kind of like, you know, try to survive while not having all the, you know, functions that a normal human being would have. And also being in this weird bubble where, you know, they just don't know what the rest of the world is like because they are very, very rich in anything they can do. Uh, they can they can pretty much do anything, as you'll see in the season. Uh, at one point, one character says being rich is like a superpower. And I thought, man, that is that's actually a very good point, at least in the way America works right now. So I think overall this show is a great exploration of like, um, you know, the post-capital era, the post-capitalistic era we're in right now. And the cast is amazing. Um, Brian Cox, just like being his full on, like hardcore strong man. Uh, but, uh, let me see here. Uh, Jeremy strong 
plays his uh, second son, second oldest son. He's the one that's trying to really finagle to take control of the whole business. Um, who else is in here? Kieran Culkin, who's amazing. And exactly like when you cast Kieran Culkin to be in a role, he's sort of like the screw up guy that still ends up failing upwards in a way. Perfectly cast here. Sarah Snook, who I really enjoy. Uh, she's been in, in, a, in a bunch of stuff lately. Great, strong cast. And Matthew McFadden as the guy... Matthew McFadden, I just have to say, it is really great him. seeing him. I love him so much. I've also, I saw him back in Spooks back in the day when Spooks was trying to be like the 24 successor on the UK side. But most recently, he's been in a ton of like historical dramas, uh, most recently in Howard's End. It is really hilarious to see Matthew McFadden play like an in-law. He, he is dating Sarah Snook's character and he is kind of an idiot, but also kind of more relatable than everybody else in the family. And there are points where he gets to have his own little antisocial tendencies come out too. And it's just delicious seeing like, you know, the lowest person in the rung who clearly sees a weaker fish and is just like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, fuck this guy's life up a little. Um, that is so much fun. Like there's so much going on in the show. Uh, I think it starts off pretty strong. It feels like the pilot is trying a little too hard with what they're trying to do, uh, but it really matures over time. This is a show that is definitely worth like investing a bunch of time in, and uh, it was created by Jesse Armstrong, who co-wrote Four Lions, uh, also worked on Peep Show back in the day, oh, and, uh, in, and, yeah, and The show. Thick of It. So like, this is a guy who knows his like political satire, and this show just transforms into being like this wonderfully dark comedy about these severely fucked up people who could just never really be happy, even though they have everything in the world. Uh, it's tremendous. You know, it goes places you wouldn't expect. Highly recommend it. Oh, man, dude, you you just, I mean, I've been on the fence about, like, should I watch this? But now you should um, watch this. I'm yeah, definitely going to check too. it out. But just so much to catch up on Sharp Objects, too. I'm not caught up with Sharp that. Sharp Objects. Oh, yeah, uh, we haven't talked about that. That's also very good. Yeah. Uh, I think we mentioned it. You mentioned it a couple no, weeks yeah, ago. You, oh, yeah, you, yeah. Just, you compared it to, like, sipping whiskey. Yeah. Yes. I, yes, uh, I watched that. the first episode of Sharp, Sharp Objects. was really impressed by it. Um, but yeah, I got to catch up, man. Got to catch up with all this stuff. Got to catch up. Um, so that's Succession. It's on I HBO. Think. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, only 10 episodes. I think it's it's a pretty easy catch up. But, you know, it helps when you have two days when you're literally not doing anything else. Mm. Yeah. So uh, Davindra's recommendation is throw out your back. Throw out my back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm actually kind of worried. Like, Davindra, you're about to have a kid. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I have to be honest. The The number one thing I'm most worried about if I ever have a kid is not, you know, are they going to grow up to be healthy and are they mm -hmm. going to be successful in life and find happiness and fulfillment? It is how destroyed my back is going to be um, <laughs> lifting that kid. When it is, you're dealing with the kid. Yeah. It is a guarantee. There is, <laughs> there is no way to put a child into a car seat mm -hmm. 400 times without <laughs> one time destroying your back. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Looking forward to all this. Uh, we got one of those. A lot about my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our parents had it hard. Pretty rough. Pretty rough. All right. Well, that's success. I just remember that's constantly my dad being like, "My back's out," and I was like, "Oh, that sounds <laughs> awful." And like, I'm already at the age where I was like, "Why is my back doing this?" I think I yeah. sat funny for a little bit yeah. today. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's Succession. It's on HBO right now. Devendra, anything else you've been watching? Uh, just real quickly, I saw this movie called MFKZ. Uh, real title, the international title is uh, Motherfuckers, which is a great title. 
this is a it's a French and Japanese co-production. Mm. It's an animated film about kids living in the slums of a city. It's basically like New Los Angeles. Um, and they discover they have superpowers. And it's about this shadowy organization trying to stop them, trying to take control of them and their superpowers and everything. Uh, this is a movie that really owes a lot to... I guess like all sci-fi, like it owes a lot to Akira, which I also saw uh, recently too on the big screen. Uh, owes a lot to the Matrix and Ghost in the Shell and a bunch of things. It's a gorgeous-looking film, uh, not super original, but I think it's definitely worth seeing on the big screen. It has a great score as well, and I also just love this idea of like um, you know the combination of like French uh, geek, you know French geek folks and Japanese you know animation folks like kind of coming together to create this thing. Uh, there have been some great French animated films lately. I think April in the Extraordinary World from last year or two years ago was fantastic. So oh, I, think I just love on Netflix now. It's on Netflix. It is worth watching. It's a gorgeous movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love animation in general. And I thought like, you know, I, I'm somebody who cut my teeth on anime uh, since I was a kid. And I just really love seeing like the art form kind of evolve over time. And this like, you know, this hybrid thing just like French style and Japanese animation, it's really cool. So definitely worth watching. I think it's going to be in theaters, um, think September? I have to double check that. But it's getting released here in the U.S. as MFKZ. And how did, uh, how did you watch it, Devendra? I saw it. It premiered at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Uh, they do this animation festival every year. I saw it premiere there. Uh, also a good reason to like, you know, check out what your local theaters are doing because sometimes you find cool stuff like this. Very cool. That's MFKZ, and apparently it is an awesome combination of French and Japanese styles. Before we get to our first review of the evening for Blind Spotting, we want to thank all the people who donated to the Slash Filmcast uh, this week. We got to thank Scott Hughes. Uh, you know, every now and then someone has a donation, uh, like a, a recurring donation, and then it fails because they cancel the credit card or something like that. And it's so easy at that moment to just be like, ah, you know, who cares about the Slash Filmcast? Uh, Scott Hughes, he got a new credit card, re-upped his donation to us regardless. Um, so really appreciate that, Scott. Um, thanks also to Donald McCoy uh, for his donation. Thanks to new subscribers at the rate of $2 per month, Ragerland, Dean Promwalfel? Promwalfel? Nailed it. Nailed it. Michael Pasafume and Jonathan Mills. Uh, for donating at $32 per month. If you want to subscribe and support what we do here on the Slash Filmcast, go to SlashFilm.com, use the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page, or go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash filmcast. Thanks to everyone who donated. Uh, all the support really does mean a lot. Let's get to our review of Blind Spotting. What is this? Oh, oh, this? Hey, hey, I, I would like to get out. Look at this. I'm better one in the glove, though. Yeah. I ain't trying to go back to jail. $200 for Collins. Not Collins' gun. Very nice. Oh, I just got an Uber pickup. <laughs> you got it. Is this an Uber? Hell yeah. Tell him, slow down. No, you can't catch me. I'm on too fast on the gas. Don't chase me. Put him up like this. You got him. I'm a tough guy. I'm a tough guy. Do me a favor. I got three days left on this probation. When you got that gun on you, just don't tell me about it. Plausible deniability. Oh, do you mean this gun? Get out. <laughs> Good night, Colin. No. Bro. Stop. Stop. Don't you. Don't stop. <laughs> 
That was from the trailer for Blind Spotting, uh, and this is a movie directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada and written by Rafael Casal and David Diggs. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. While on probation, a black man begins to reevaluate his relationship with his volatile best friend. Blind Spotting is a movie that uh, is kind of sweeping the indie circuit right now. has gotten tons of really positive reviews, um, so I was really interested to check it out. Uh, and Christy Pushko, you uh, were able to check it out this weekend, right, For in preparation for the yeah. Social Guest. What did you think of Blindspotting? Um, so I had been meaning to see it since, like, South By. Like, it premiered at Sundance, and then it hit South By, but I got caught up seeing a bunch of other stuff there and didn't get around to it, and then I missed it uh, when it first came out. So, yeah, I was a little slow to catch up on this one, even though everyone I know was like, oh, my God, it's so good, it's so good. But that was kind of all they were saying. It was like, it's so good. So it was that kind of... I knew roughly what it was about. I knew that it involved the premise we talked about. I knew it involved rapping, which, of course, it does because David Diggs is a rap star uh, for those that are not obsessed with Hamilton like I am. Um, he is amazing and won uh-huh. a Tony for it, I believe. Uh, but anyway, I was fascinated. And I was like, okay, let's go. And I saw it on Sunday and uh, using MoviePass. So thanks, MoviePass. And um, I was actually really blown away because it's just it's I, I don't know it it was just I don't know what I was expecting but it was more than I was expecting and um there's such humor in it and there's such levity but then there are these moments that feel very authentically devastating and um they employ a cliche that we'll talk about in spoilers to set up a sense of tension that grows throughout the film and and I thought it was a really smart play and it speaks to the politics of what's going on right now in a way that you can't ignore it. And uh, I think it's a really exciting film. I think the performances are amazing. The writing is astounding and it's, it just, it's so hard hitting. It was phenomenal. I actually was toying with the idea of doing a double feature because I still haven't seen Mamma Mia 2, which I know they that totally up, go together. Really, that's a, I, well, that's a that's movie kind of my problem. Like the way the screenings worked out, I couldn't do Mamma Mia first. So I was like, I'll do blind spotting and then I'll do Mamma Mia. And I got out of blind spotting and I decided like I just was I couldn't see Mamma Mia because I wanted to sit with blind spotting. Like it, it gave me so much to think about and it gave me so much to like experience that I didn't want to just dive into something else. So instead of going to see Mamma Mia too, I like went for a long walk and just thought about the movie and that felt really special. Very cool. Uh, Devinder Hardware, your thoughts on Blindspotting? Yeah, I talked about it uh, briefly uh, last week, actually, I think, um, or two weeks ago. But I just want to say, like, this movie is incredible. Um, it is, it feels like, um, yeah, I said at the time, like, it reminds me of Spike Lee at his best. Just the way it kind of balances um, the reality of people just living their lives and going through, you know, their normal lives and, you know, the happiness and the sadness that entails. And then on the other side, there are just moments of absolute emotion and pure, like, dread and fear. And there's a lot going on. Like, it's balancing all of this on a knife edge. Uh, so I thought that was really fascinating about this film. Um, you know, yeah, it's a movie talking about gentrification. It's a movie talking about changing Oakland right now. So it feels just as fitting as something like uh, Sorry to Bother You as well. Another Oakland movie. So really cool that we're getting to see, uh, you know, these interesting stories right now telling us something about a changing landscape like Oakland. Um, but uh, also Oakland also yeah. appears prominently in black Panther this year. As well. yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Like it's a black Panther starts there. And I think that's all very important. Like we're definitely seeing art coming out of, you know, these communities that I think is very 
fantastic and it's showing people you know sides of things that they may not normally get to see uh but yeah i would definitely relate this movie to something like do the right thing it feels a lot like the do the right thing for today um where so much of it is just people hanging out and being friends and doing you know just having fun together and at the same time there's like this underlying feeling of anxiety and this you know potential eruption of violence that could happen or could not uh, but at the end of the day, like what this movie is about is how people kind of exist in that space. Um, the trailer for this movie kind of sets up the plot. So I, I will mention like one thing, like a police shooting plays a big role in this movie. And I was fascinated how it just didn't go. It wasn't handled in the way I thought it would be. This right. isn't a movie about like a quest for justice or anything, because that's you, you see terrible things happen in your life all the time. And it just kind of eats away at you. You can't do anything about it. And it's a movie about that, basically. Just like trying to do what you can to exist in this world, uh, even though you don't have you know, control to find justice everywhere. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Blindspotting? I think it's my favorite movie of the year so far. Mm. Um, mm. I, it, it, it absolutely blew me away. Um, I'm so, I was so impressed with how it could achieve so many disparate tones and turn on a dime from one to the next. It's, there are moments of complete silly, almost cartoonish humor, you know, very exaggerated, silly humor. That's really fun and plays great. And then the next moment it is deadly serious, absolutely topical and profound. And the fact that movie can sort of dance between those things with such dexterity it, it is it is amazing and moving and uh, you're absolutely right Devendra I think with the uh, do the right thing reference it also feels to me like a swingers or a clerks for a yeah. new more socially conscious generation mm. right it is it is that spirit of you know like the two guys wrote it so they could be in it and uh it, it, it in the way those movies are stylized but also feel like they're they're a page out of a truth that i know very very well uh this movie feels like that too like they're, they're it's stylized in in really fun ways and yet also feels super grounded in a truth of the moment um the performances are extraordinary uh it gets away with things that it shouldn't be able to get away with it's it's an incredible film that I found completely moving. And in the same way that sort of swingers and clerks and do the right thing are these movies about people that you just want to hang out with. I love that this movie, these characters are so real and so human and have such heart. This movie has so much heart and it, I, I know I, I raved about uh, sorry to bother you. I think this movie for me is superior uh i mean they're very different movies but i think this movie nails the landing in a way that sorry the bother you didn't for me and uh, it also it has that heart it isn't sort of you know it it, it isn't just about the thing i mean there's some heart in sorry to bother you as well maybe it's a bad comparison but i love the fact that these are about people that i like being around and they just one of them just happens to be an ex-convict right they're, they're human beings and feel like very well-rounded human beings. We get moments with them that don't really need to be in the movie, but they're just human, wonderful moments. And, uh, I mean, I just adore this movie and, you know, so many people we've, we've noted so many people were talking to me about, 
uh, you know, I saw Christopher Robin for you this weekend, and I was like, it's nice, but go see Blind Spotting. That's the movie you should be seeing because uh, I more people need to see this movie. It's extraordinary. Yeah, I I agree that it's definitely a movie uh, worth seeing. It's really there's nothing else like it out this year. You know, just in terms of its style and in terms of. Uh, the tone and the messages is trying to convey. Uh, it's stuffed full of ideas, and it has, uh, as, as you guys mentioned, a really uh, great cast. The, to- the the shifting between the tones didn't didn't work quite as well for me as it did for you guys. I think um, there is this kind of theatricality to uh, the dialogue, right? And mm. uh, that that kind of uh, takes it out of the realm of uh the real for me which is completely i i think you know i don't know if that's what the movie's trying to do but i i don't know that it quite worked as well for me as it did for you guys but despite that minor uh nit i think it's still certainly a movie that's worth watching and um and has a lot of stuff that's uh ultimately what this movie captures uh, for me is this idea of being not in control of how the world perceives you uh, mm-hmm. and not being in control of like how you're perceived by even your friends and yeah. um, how terrifying and disorienting and frustrating and maddening that can be. I, I, I feel like t- for me, that's like what I got out of it. People can, you know, welcome to get all sorts of different things out of it. But for me, that's what I got out of it. And I felt like it rang very true in that, in that message. Um, and it's it's difficult to find a movie that really can can bring that out can can provoke that emotional response. But this movie did that for me, so I would highly recommend it as well. I agree with uh, pretty much everything you guys have said about it. Um, anything else before we dive into spoilers for Blind Spotting? Um, I think uh, yeah, let's let's get to it then. Spoilers for Blind Spotting starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. In the past, uh, on Twitter, uh, a few times this year, I've talked about some of my favorite movie moments of the year, and I think uh, several people pointed out to me the climax of this movie. Uh, was one of their favorite movie moments of the year. What, like, what did you guys Meeting think? Meeting the of, rap? Yeah, the rap uh, with the that, police officer. Yeah. It should not work. If you if you told me on paper that right, right. The, the ultimate moment was that this guy was going to rap at someone, Yeah, you know? Like, I, I would be like, that's not going to work. That's going to be dumb. That's going to feel goofy. <laughs> right. And yet, it's extraordinary. It is, it is an electric moment. Uh, my, my body, like, when I'm watching it, Jeff, my, my sensibility is like, this... Should not work, but right. <laughs> it should it should not work. But it it is such a he is so committed yeah. to that performance. Mm-hmm. You know what and I mean? The, that and he, the rap he, itself is so exquisite. Yes, I mean, it, yeah. it brought me over to the other side. Like I was like, I don't. You know, part of me is like, I don't feel like this should be working. And then it's like, but it's so <laughs> the it's so raw and like so intense that I'm like, okay, you got me. I, I, I could see Dave's head like everything going on, like total inconsistencies. I don't know. <laughs> Yep. Well, what's uh, also yeah. extraordinary is the way that David David Diggs performs. Like I, I'm mostly aware of him from Hamilton, and in Hamilton he plays Thomas Jefferson, and he there's a lot of bravado in that performance, and 
that's kind of what I associate with him. So in this movie, to watch him play a character who is really trying to keep his head down and is not trying to draw attention to himself, uh, it was so interesting to see that switch up and to also see him use rap in a different way because, again, it's it's a different function within this film. And like you see him rap throughout the film, but it begins with him just playing around with Miles. And then it evolves to like when they're taking in that house that clearly like a family lived there and and we don't know what happened to them and he's using that as a moment to like meditate and and ponder what's going on in in his in his city in his home and and like it's really beautiful and elegant but it's like then it comes together so the wrapping within the film has an arc and i think that's why that finale works so much for me because yes on its face, it sounds absurd that like, okay, so he comes face to face with evil cop Ethan Embry who shot the guy and he raps at him like that sounds dumb. <laughs> yeah, but, the, but the whole setup for the scene, too, is like it is really trying to make you think a lot of things, right? Like, oh, the alarm's going off. What is what is what is right. the alarm mean? In I this? thought the he cops took were off... going to get called. Yeah, the cops were going to get called. Um, right. He was uh, I think he was just wearing a T-shirt by that point right right he wasn't identified as you know one of the workers who should be there like so many things to make you think like this shit's going gonna go bad right. like whatever right. is gonna happen here and it it seemed like so many yeah. red flags from like a million posts from like the route were like you know some neighbor was gonna call and being like no no i know they have a moving gym but there's a black guy they're totally robbing that yeah. place like yeah. i i just i my mind started rushing to all these headlines i've seen yeah sorry i interrupted you go on sorry no, I think I think you were totally right. I, th- I may have interrupted you, Christy, but I, yeah, the, the whole setup for the scene, I just have to say, is masterful. Uh, but let's talk more about this. There's one I wanted to mention as well. Well, the, uh, the, the problem I, I also had to get over with Ethan Embry being the cop is I, I, I recently watched Sneaky Pete mm. <laughs> and he's such a goofball in that show. And it's like he's supposed to be this, you know, menacing, scary kind of. Uh, oh, I bought it. I didn't recognize him at all. Like in the beginning, it said it said Ethan Embry in the credits. And the whole time I was like, where does Ethan Embry come up? And then I forgot about it. And then in the end, when it did the credits again, I was like, oh, my God, like I've seen him recently and stuff. But I it was just. He's not goofy, goofy Ethan Embry. So again, it was he was completely transformed to me. It was unnerving. Devinger, I think you brought up a really good point in the pre-spoilers about how this this movie does not take the path that you think it will take. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because in uh, in the trailers for like before this movie played, and I've seen the trailer elsewhere. There, is, you know, uh, I saw a trailer for the Hate You Give. Have you guys seen the trailer for that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Which is like. It, that is what I thought this movie was going to be. You know, like it, it is about right. uh person seeing uh, their friend getting shot by a police officer um, right. seemingly unjustifiably. And then and, and like this whole activist, you know, uh, movement that occurs as a result of that. And I thought, oh, this is going to be like a very similar movie to The Hate You Give. Um, but it's not that at all. You're it's a, It's not about how these horrors can... Um, incite action. It's about how like uh, this horror for David Diggs' character is like suppressed and stuffed down because it's like what he needs right. to do to survive. Right. Uh, and yeah, in that way, it's it's um, it is more heart wrenching uh, in, in in than potential other permutations of the story. Chris, you were going to say what I th- sorry. What I thought was fascinating is that there's kind of a Chekhov's gun thing going at play, right? And it's like on two fronts because the very first scene after like like that we start the story because you see the scene before he he's been convicted or whatever. And then it's like, you know, three days before probation ends and he's in the car and it's the gun deal. So 
in that first scene there, it sets up Miles has a gun. Miles should not have a gun. That right, is right. clear right away. So you think of Chekhov's gun, the idea if you're going to introduce a gun in the first off act, it better damn well go off in the second, right? So you're watching that gun. You're always waiting for that gun to come up. But then they kind of flip it where they also introduce the cop shooting. And that's like also a Chekhov's gun effect where you've seen a gun go off. And now it's kind of like you're waiting for the impact to hit. Like we've seen the character we, the, who doesn't get a name go down, but we have to see how that impacts Divi Diggs' character. And so it's like throughout the movie, there's all these moments where like whenever Miles' child gets the gun, my heart was in my throat because yeah, I'm thinking yeah. we set up the gun. This is what happens. And then that's not what happens. And then they go to the party and you're like, oh, God. And like, I, I thought the way they use the tension of these things was amazing. And then it's like even after the party, when the gun goes off, Miles gets away with it. Right. And it's it's again, Colin has the gun and Colin is walking down the street when a cop car finds him. And it's like this gun is just a harbinger of doom right. and of of like it was just really astounding how the gun changes context scene to scene, but it's always held in this light of like, this is, this brings on problems. This does not solve problems. Mm -hmm. And it's not in your face about it, but it's, there's a very strong political message in that. And then on top of that, you have the messages about like white privilege effectively by comparing the two lives of miles and Colin. Mm -hmm. And that was, I, I did not expect that. I, I was really taken aback by how elegantly that story is told and how, how the story confronts it and how the characters confront it after the party, the scene in the parking lot was just riveting. That yeah. was that was actually the highlight of the film for me, not the final rap. It was that scene when all this tension mm-hmm. uh, between the two of them, all the unspoken things just kind of boil over and spill out into the open. Uh, and the way they play it was so much frustrating. Like, there's just, it, it captures that feeling. Like, you want to communicate this feeling to this other person who's been in your life for a long time, um, but you're unable to. Um, I, I do this in my own life. I call it the slash film cast, actually. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, tracks. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I really love, like, the really well acted and, and kind of uh, just, you. it really gives you empathy for each of those characters when you're in, in that moment. I, I gotta say, my favorite part of the movie is is the story of, of what happened and how wonderfully set up all of that is. And The Ant-Man flashback? <laughs> yeah, the Ant-Man style flashback. Ant-Man yeah. moment. But it's so... I mean, it's. I don't think it's a. It's a riff on that. In, in, in <laughs> no, I'm. I'm being. Clear. It's. It's just a great flashback. Yeah. It, it is. But what I love about it is, we have this big mystery of what is his crime, right? We. We. It's. It. There, there's a question there through the whole movie. He, what is his crime? What is his crime? What is his crime? And he's avoiding it. He's talking about it. it's looming ever larger in his. You know, in the relationship that he has with his ex girlfriend, all of that stuff, and then. The way it's revealed is <laughs> it's so out of nowhere in this moment and the and it's done in such a fun way, you know, like, oh, this is this is awesome, which is completely undermining all of the doom and gloom that we have you know, and it's been right. laden with throughout the entire film. I just thought that was such a brilliant flourish of we're going to make this the most fun 
thing ever. Well, it starts fun. It certainly doesn't yeah. end fun. Like, I love that flashback because, yeah, it starts off like, oh, man, like you were that dude and it's crazy story and like regaling all of this. And like you're really with it, right? You're really with uh, the guy is uh, Utkarsh um, Budkar, who uh, he was in Mini Project and a bunch of things. Uh, I love that whole sequence of people just like relaying this crazy night they had. Right. Uh, but the like what starts off fun, like is the quit, you know, the horror that you know kind of you that starts to like dawn on you as you realize like okay this guy is on fire he's really bloody right now this is not going to end well for poor colin and uh it is it's one of those things right is just the look at a bad decision a dumb decision even if you think you were right you were in the right to like punch this dude for being a dick um at the end of the day like you will get punished for it and certainly like they they just mentioned they throw away like how badly it was like that guy was in a you know he was in the hospital for a week I think he was mm-hmm. in a coma for a week or something like it is it is much more brutal than I think we expected too so I like the way that it's both you know introduced as a fun flashback and then it's quickly like oh no this isn't fun this is just like a very bad decision and you paid the price for it um, I after that after that point though like seeing how much um, Colin basically took you know, took the jail sentence for Miles to help his friend out. I definitely saw Miles in another light, too. It was Mm -hmm. like, man, you you need a better friend. Like, this is I understand you grew up with this kid, but man, he is ruining your life. And one of the I think one of the fascinating things about this movie is how they don't really reconcile. Like they have the fight. They have that great uh, Mm -hmm. conversation in the warehouse. But it's it's, you know, the next day after the whole police standoff. It is uh, them just joking around again. I hope that, you know, they both learn from something from this experience. But at the end of the day, like, Miles seems like somebody who has no impulse control. And those sorts of people mm-hmm. are just like, yeah, if that's you're friends with them, they will fuck up your life. Right. Before we get, yeah. before we get too far to. away from that from that, from that that moment mm-hmm. that, that started this conversation, I just want to say that I, I think it's another example of how this movie seems to be able to get away with things that shouldn't yeah. work on paper. Like, yeah. the idea of... The guy, guys who just happened to be there that day walk into the place of work when they, he happens to be with with in, standing right. It's like it, that shouldn't work. That shouldn't be a thing that that plays. You know, I should go. That's a dumb way to reveal. What, but this movie gets away with it. And I think this movie, it's a credit to how well it's all constructed that it does work. Mm hmm. Christy, what were you going to say in response to the Avengers point? Well, I was, uh, what I think is interesting with Miles is like, you know, we get to see how Miles, like he calls him out in the parking lot. Miles doesn't have to deal with consequences because frankly, his skin color protects him. And like now that the neighborhood's being gentrified, kind of even more so because Mm -hmm. he can easily be mistaken for a hipster, which is what happens at the party and which rankles him so intensely. And I get it. I do. But it's also like he just doesn't have to go that far. And it's like Miles just has, as you said, like there's no impulse control there. But there's no lesson for him to learn either because he's clearly lost his temper before. He's clearly done dumb shit before, but he always gets a near miss. You know, he doesn't go to jail. His kid doesn't shoot himself like, you know, it doesn't seem the cops are going to catch him for beating the shit out of a guy at a party. There's there's no repercussion. So there's no incentive for Miles to do any better. And, like, poor Colin, like, he screwed up horribly once. And now it seems like like his frustration is no matter what he does, it doesn't seem to matter anyway. Like, right, he's, right. he's trying to get his life back on track with Val. 
And I think the first half of the movie, we're supposed to be frustrated with her. Like, why is she giving him such a hard time? Why, you know, why wouldn't she visit him in prison? And then what's, as, as Devendra hinted at the end of that flashback, you totally get why. And like the scene where they talk on the phone and he says, when you look at me, will you always see the fight first? I, yeah, so cool. mm-hmm. it literally took my breath away. It's, it's such a raw moment. And, it's, and to be able to see them both on screen and living in that moment, instead of it being a shot reverse shot, it's literally a right, split, it's screen. A split it's screen. So smartly done, I think. Yeah, and it's like, you know, they pull off stuff like split screens have been passe for so long, and yet they work really well in this movie. And I thought it was, it's like, it's so hard to talk about gentrification in a way of, of balance, and it's so hard to talk about privilege in a way of balance where it doesn't sound like you're either lecturing or accusing someone. And I think that this movie manages to talk about both those things with a real elegance, but also mm-hmm. a real entertainment value and a real humor. So like that flashback, you're kind of lured in by the fun and by the flow of it. And the same thing with like, you know, uh, Miles's bullshit raps whenever he, or like, you know, his, his, uh, the thing, the, the, you know, there's the slang he spins to sell boats or old hair products or whatever. Like you're lured in with the style and then the substance hits you and it just carries you. Like Mm -hmm. I was just really struck by how strong this movie is because like I said, people kept telling me it was good, but no one was getting into the specifics. So it was a really, it was a surprise. And it's really cool when you get to, when you have my job and you can still be surprised by a movie, even after people have been talking about it for literally months. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and uh, Devendra, I, I wanted to say one thing about what you said about like whether they changed by the end. I, I did get the impression that they had changed. You know, I got the I impression too. that they both yeah. gone through this entire thing. You know, Shane Black once said this thing about how when you uh, he was doing press for the nice guys, and he said when you're watching a movie that takes place over the course of like one week or two, you are watching the most important week of that character's life. Like that's that is his kind of philosophy of making movies and writing movies is like you're watching the most important week of their life. Um, because otherwise if it's not like why else, why, why, why would you bother telling that story? You know? Um, and that's kind of how I felt about this movie is, is, this well, you is get a, a, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. You, you get a, Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No you, you get a clear, you get a clear sense of it when he has that sit down with, uh, with his wife at the table and, uh, miles is, you know, he, he's, he's, he's a very changed person in that moment. Uh, you know, he's comes in beaten and bruised and yet there's still a, an explosion of anger there. But then, you know, he asks her not to, to use the N word around him. And I, f- it does feel as if he has uh, had a, a, a paradigm shift, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in reality, we know that, that, uh, change character change is never a straight line or it usually isn't. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying like everything's great from now on, but I do think like they're on a better path now. Uh, that's my feeling about it, at least. Um, so anyway, uh, any other thoughts before we wrap this up? I just wanted to mention the scene with the kid afterwards where he goes outside to play with uh, Colin and Colin chastises him and points a finger and says, stop it. And the kid throws his hands up and says, don't shoot, don't shoot. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, because there are pamphlets for that to teach your kids how to protect them. Right. And the when cops, I saw the like, pamphlet, oh my, my assumption, it said yep. the talk. I thought it was going to be a sex talk pamphlet. And then when they reveal what it was later, I mean, you know, that was a moment where my own white privilege kicked in where like, that's not a conversation my parents ever had to have with me because I have a protection in that I am mm-hmm. a white girl. 
Um, and like that's something I was aware of before going to see this movie because of a friend of mine who talked about that experience with her own children. Um, but to see it in that context, to see a kid that little and to see a kid that little um, being taught it as a game so that they understand the reaction they need to have, but also so that they're not scared. Like, I mean, the movie just has those moments that are so artful at express expressing the trauma that we are inflicting as a society right now. And um, that was that was part of why I needed to just walk with it for a bit. And mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm astonished by this movie, and I'm really grateful for it. I think that they put together something extraordinary that speaks to where we are and speaks to where we need to go. All right. Well, that is our review of Blind Spotting. You should go see it. It's out in theaters right now. We're going to move on to another review uh, of Christopher Robin, but before we do that, Devinder Hardor, you have not seen Christopher Robin. Um, I have not because you have no interest Sorry. in seeing it. And you really cool. don't want Christopher Robin spoilers. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think it has to do with bears. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're going to peace out, Devendra. Um, where can people find more of your work? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Devendra, and I write, I write about tech at ngadget.com. Uh, I have some cool stuff coming up, including a piece about MoviePass, which should be up uh, by the time this podcast goes up. So check that out. Very cool. Um, and please, guys, send Devendra your well wishes at Devendra on Twitter. Um, I, I assume you're still recovering, Devendra, from your back. It's uh, yeah, it's been kind of a struggle just sitting up for this podcast, but it's uh, it's getting better. That's the thing. Just right. laying down. Best wishes, bud. Yeah, yeah, feel Thank feel better guys. soon, dude. Feel better. Thank you. And, yeah, uh, we'll see you later. Later. Bye, guys. All right, let's get to our review of Christopher Robin. Oh, I do like a party. Come on, babe. What should happen if you forget about me? Silly old bear. I won't ever forget about you, Pooh. I promise. Not even when I'm a hundred. We should be working this weekend, Robin. But I, I promised my wife and daughter I'd take them away this weekend. All hands on deck. You won't be coming to the cottage. Well, it can't be helped. Your life is happening now, right in front of you. What to do, what to do, what to do. What to do, indeed. Pooh? Christopher Robin. No. The tree I remember was in the countryside, not here in London. There's no opening. I suppose it's where it needs to be. That's a silly explanation. Why, thank you. Pooh, why are you here? Oh, yes, I need your help. I've lost all of my friends. Let's get to the bottom of this. Look up, Pooh, here I come. It would appear that I am stuck. Have you just eaten honey? I have not just eaten honey. I wonder which way. I always get to where I'm going by walking away from where I have been. Do you? That's the way I do it. Hello, you. That was from the trailer for Christopher Robin, the newest film by director Mark Forrester. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A working-class family man, Christopher Robin, encounters his childhood friend, Winnie the Pooh, who helps him to rediscover the joys of life. All right, uh, so we're going to give our brief thoughts on the film and then dive into spoilers because it's going to be hard to talk about this movie without spoiling at least some stuff. Um, but Christy, you were really excited to talk about this on the podcast today. Why I was, was. it? Because I hate this movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hate it deeply. I love Winnie the Pooh. I grew up with the Disney animated cartoons more than the books. Um, but I I loved Pooh's kind of jaunty tales. I loved how he didn't seem too bothered by anything. I loved him getting stuck in walls. 
Uh, I loved his songs. I love the 2011 movie that didn't do very well, but is enchanting. The um, hand, so hand-drawn animation, right, you're talking about, right? It's beautiful, yeah. It was really lovely. Um, so, but this movie has concerned me for a time. And it was because when they announced it, one, focusing on Christopher Robin, which, if you know anything about the real Christopher Robin, Milne, his life wasn't awesome. Two... Uh, they like announced they're like, oh, Alex Ross Perry's gonna write this, and I was like, oh, the guy known for like ennui, navel gazing dramas, sweet. Uh, <laughs> then they hire Mark Forster, who like I was like, so it's gonna be like they're finding Neverland. That's what we're going for, and like all of this made me steadily more concerned. They hire Tom McCarthy to clean up the script. They hire uh, I think what is her name, Allison. I want to say Shoemaker. Did I remember that? Schroeder, Allison Schroeder from Hidden Figures. And to me, both of those hires on the script seem to suggest that they're trying to kind of like get a little more hurt in there because those people are known for more for like things that are kind of depressing, but also inspiring. And I was just like, oh, I'm I'm not going to like this, am I? And then it's like when the designs came out, just what are these designs? Why does like I understand the 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 drive to want it to be photo real. And you're thinking, oh, but if they're toys and of the era and blah, 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 they should be like raggedy and stuff like that. But to me, Pooh and his friends in this movie look like they can wander off into like it or an Annabelle sequel. Like they're <laughs> creepy looking. And I, like, I actually think the most of the creatures look fine. But Pooh himself looks really, really worn. You know, like really worn out. <laughs> I think his mouth is just too small. It, it is. He, I think he, the mouth is part of it. He but looks it's like, in rough shape. He looks in rough if shape. If you look at the posters, they are all very vividly colored, yes. like they're in a cartoon. If in the movie, they are not. Everything has like a gray pall over it for like the first hour. And like it's watching very it, out, I was. Yeah. Yeah, I was just bummed. I was just like, like it's as if they ca- like it's as if they hired a bunch of Eeyores to make this movie. And like, look, I love Eeyore, but you need the balance. You need some Tigger. You need some energy. And this movie is just such like it's so dour for the first hour that like it hits one point, which I guess we can talk about in spoiler. No, I'll just say it. There's a point where Christopher Robin screams at Pooh for a while, and I was like, I wanted to leave. If I did not have to like sit there and watch that movie for my job, I would have walked out because like there is enough terrible stuff going on right now in the world. I do not need a full-grown man yelling at Pooh Bear. Like, how dare you, sir? So, yeah, no, I hate this movie. All right. Jeff Kanata. <laughs> Chris well, this is going to go well. Um, <laughs> go so Jeff well. loves it. No, 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 I didn't love it. I, I thought it was delightful. I, 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 didn't, um, I didn't love it. I think the third act is clunky and abrupt and uh, poorly executed. Uh, I think the th- – we'll, we'll talk about that in spoilers. I think the third act is, is straight up bad. But – I I liked most of this movie. I had a, I had a lovely time. Um, I don't have a particular affection for Winnie the Pooh as a character. I mean, I I'm a I was a child of I was a child at one point, so of course I am familiar with Winnie the Pooh and the voice. The fact that they got you know that that voice to to do Pooh again uh, is iconic and stirs something in me that is that is deep and and childlike. But um, Mostly what I loved about this is that that sense of Pooh as, you know, as, as written as a, you know, a, a Zen cone, you know, like his his sort of Zen philosophy of life. Uh, I found it to be enchanting. I, I really did. I thought, um, uh, you know, I'm sort of 
living this life, <laughs> Christopher Robin, where, you know, I have a young child and I'm, you know, uh, I'm here. I am, uh, you know, podcasting in the evening where my child has to go to bed. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I related to some of it. I, I didn't find it to be particularly uh, morose or, or off-puttingly um, uh, melancholy. I, I just thought it um, – I thought the third act was was bad, but I thought the characters were all delightful. I thought the design of the of the the uh, what is it hundred acre wood, uh, I, it was evocative and interesting and fun, and it felt like a little diorama world uh, come to life. Uh, I don't know. I I enjoyed I enjoyed this movie. So, so. Jeff, in this analogy, uh, if you're Christopher Robin, I am Mark Gaddis in the movie. Um, I'm the one forcing you to do things away from your children, right? Indeed, you are, and you. But at least uh, you're actually working too, and you're not. No, I was, like golfing. I was just going to make that point. You're you're <laughs> golfing as I uh, as I toil away. Uh, I think this movie was really. Off, you often take credit for my work. <laughs> <laughs> I think this movie is really weird, guys. Uh, yeah, I think it's really it really is very weird, um, and I think the first 15 minutes is so relentlessly depressing that it's unclear yeah. to me if the movie can ever fully recover from it. Um, I but- mean, just, again, this is like the first 15 minutes, so I feel like we can just say this. They basically murder A.A. A. Milne in the opening, which is really <laughs> a bold choice. Um, but someone pointed out to me that he is not playing Christopher Robin Milne, even though the movie is called Christopher Robin, he has poo, and like he has like some incidences that also occurred in his life. Not the death of A.A. A. Milne, that didn't happen until Christopher was in his 30s, but... Like, you know, going to boarding school and he had a wife and he had one daughter and he served in the military and all this kind of stuff. Um, He's Robin is supposed to be his last name is what someone pointed out to me. So it's Christopher Robin. And I was like, that's so weird to me that you would make a movie about Christopher Robin and Pooh where like the Pooh books don't exist. And I I just I don't understand so many of the decisions that went into making this movie. Uh, So I think the again, opening is pretty brutal, um, but. Here, here's the thing. Ultimately, this message it feels very extremely similar to like the Toy Story movies to me, right? Which or mm-hmm. Toy Story three specifically, I think, which is basically about like this child growing up and and about um, moving past the time period when you're playing with toys, but then discovering that hey, there's something really valuable about the art of play, about uh, whimsicality, about having fun in your life. You know, Jeff, when was the last time you had some fun in your life? Right. That's um, since I started working for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Seriously, it's all been downhill since then. Yeah. Um, and, I did not uh, know what I was opening up when I suggested <laughs> we review this. You know, so I think... Um, I don't even think uh, it's fun necessarily. It's more like um, purposelessness. Purpose, <laughs> like, yeah, play. Well, that's what I mean when I say play. You know, it's uh, this yeah. idea of play as an end in and of itself like the idea of letting your mind wander of exploring things nothing can lead to something yeah Yeah, but i mean i think it's less even play than it is it's this zen idea of like don't do Mm. don't do just be Mm. and i that's what i liked about the movie I, i it is it is an odd message but it's I found it to be lovely. I I really liked that zenness of it. Well, uh, I, like that I also poo stuff, and I like yeah, poo stuff. That when you right. actually get to spend time with the characters, I enjoy that more. Even though I just couldn't settle into the look of them. But as you pointed out, like Jim Cummings' voice is great. He's done Tigger and Pooh for 
I think, all of my life. Uh, and so to hear his voice in those characters is wonderful. And the other characters that they bring in, like they bring in like Brad Garrett and P- Peter Capaldi and plug in some people to fill out the other voices. They're not so much imitations, but they are true to the spirit of those characters. And all of that stuff I like. What I have issue with is I don't understand why when you have this collection of wonderful characters and you have all these lovely stories you could tell, you choose a new story centered on like a middle midlife crisis having workaholic who has a wife he barely pays attention to and a daughter that he refers to as if she's a business associate. Like, I I just don't get why that's the story you're trying to sell to families. There is literally a paperwork montage in this movie. Well, again, in the movie's defense, I think, <laughs> which is not a movie I, I really want to defend, I think this idea of... Uh, like rediscovering this part of yourself that, that you'd forgotten long ago that was um, less concerned with the uh, challenges and everyday drudgery of the world, uh, that part really resonated with me. I got to say, it did get a little bit, bit dusty, these moments that Christopher Robin spends with Pooh. I, I did um, get a little bit uh, verklempt, as they say. So uh, I, I would say I'm probably in the middle, in between you two, in terms of your opinions on the movie. But there's a little bit more to discuss. Why don't we do that? Start. Yep. Go ahead, Jeff. One one thing I just want to say, just in case it's unclear to anybody, I promise, I promise, I do not have a dog in this fight that has anything to do with the Sunday movie wager. I'm not. I didn't go into this movie wanting to like it because of that. I didn't. I, I I'm being very honest with how I feel about it. I do. I don't. I did not love it. I did think it was was uh, a pretty positive experience but it is a majorly flawed film and uh, not one that i'm i'm advocating for simply because of the movie wages so i just want to put that out there um, yeah that didn't even occur to me jeff but uh, uh I, I, you know it's it's weirdly this movie has become associated with me <laughs> among our audience you know so uh, so that's fair enough fair you enough. have become its champion whether yeah. you wanted to or indeed, not yeah. indeed all right let's get to spoilers for christopher robin starting right now now you're looking for the secret. Do you want to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So I feel like this movie turns into a horror film in the last, <laughs> the last third. Because the entire is- movie... Right. The entire movie, you never see anyone interact with with the stuffed animals, right? right? Because, and and when Christopher Robin is like, "Hey, shh, don't talk to the other people," <laughs> my assumption was that Pooh is in his head, right? Like Uh-oh. that's what I love about this movie because every other movie like this. He, he would be the only one that could see them, right? Or his daughter would be able to magically see them too because she's still childlike. But I love the the fact that this movie straight up says these are fucking alive. Yeah. They are alive and, and and they're creatures that we have never known in the world just, before. I, I and they that, live and they you have to fucking reconcile that. Well, it's like he doesn't – what I find odd is like that's that's kind of just played for laughs and not – I don't know. It's that's so strange to me that he's basically like, just say still because I don't want to deal with it. Like, I don't know. I, but every but person I, they encounter has this like moment of like existential crisis because they yeah. just saw a, a, a living being that has never existed before. The, the metaphysical like, implications. It, it, the, this movie opens a Pandora's box <laughs> of right. metaphysical. Like, so does that mean like all stuffed animals are alive? Do you know what I mean? Like. 
I don't think well, so. Also, is it... can all like all animals talk? Because rabbit and owl talk. Right. So, I, so I think that what what this movie is is claiming <laughs> is that there is a portal through which you can enter another world where stuffed creatures exist and interact with talking real creatures, and that those have have gained access to our world uh, at various times in in through history. And one of these times, they interacted with more than just one young boy. They inter- interacted with uh, a whole cavalcade of characters and caused chaos uh, in, you know, in uh, in Sussex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, th- yeah, but to get to Dave's point about it being like a horror movie, the part where they go find the girl in the tennis court, like, that is... I mean, like, I'm waiting for someone as soon as this hits DVD, I'm waiting for a bunch of those like horror trailers to come out because it's just like she's like, who's that? And then the ball rolls out to her menacingly. (laughs) It's so weird. And like, that's like the design of this is so confounding to me. But like, I actually and the third act has a lot of problems. And I do not understand how you should give everyone paid vacations makes any sense as a solution to their budget problem. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. But I at least liked that there's like a rollicking adventure to be had in the in the third act. Like finally we're getting some energy. Finally we're getting to do something other than watch Christopher Robin berate and yell at Pooh more times. <laughs> like that was just such a bummer. And then like even like oh just like when he's like just quietly and then Pooh's just looking out a window going house. I was like this design is creeping <laughs> me out. <laughs> like, I laughed. That was funny though. That's a funny no, like, scene. The, where he's like the, the you do beats it quieter. Are funny. Yeah, the beats are funny, but it's just like the look of the characters. I just they're not cute to me. They are creepy. Like it looks like a forgotten puppet master scene or something like I just and they put so much effort in. And the other thing that drives me crazy is that like we've had Paddington. And the thing is that if you remember when they first released, which maybe you guys don't because I know you two hate trailers. But when they released the very first Paddington trailer, the Internet freaked out because they were like, nope, uncanny valley. You guys have gone creepy. This Paddington is upsetting. And people did all these memes of like Paddington being cut into the shining and all these different kinds of things. And and it made sense because that Paddington looked upsetting. And then they like retooled, came back a couple of months later with a different trailer. They had tweaked enough of the CGI so that Paddington looked adorable and not upsetting. And like, I don't understand how Disney presumably saw that and then went with this design. And I understand some people like this design. I find this design unnerving and it upsets me. I just want a cute, cuddly poo. And like this bear... It looks like something that would be possessed in an episode of Paranormal Act Witness. I, I get what you're saying, but I also think you're you're overstating it. I, I, I get <laughs> that you feel very strongly about it, but I don't I don't I didn't get that impression. And I think there are plenty of people who found can find these characters to be not not menacing and creeping. <laughs> I mean, say, say what you will, Christy, whatever they were trying to do, they really went for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> they did. They made like, some bold choices. Yeah, and I they made a bold choice. Big swing. Yeah, they, I'll they, give they, them sw- that. They swung big, and maybe for you they missed big, but at least they really tried for something as opposed I, to I, being. I, you know, I really think the only one you can even say that about is is Pooh, and I think it's because he has those tiny beady eyes and that tiny mouth. But I don't think I don't think you know Piglet looks menacing, or even Eeyore <laughs> or Tigger. I think I think they're you know they're all 
you know, sweet, cuddly little things. We should say, by the way, that Eeyore, in my opinion, was great in this movie. Yeah. He, he kind of steals the show, almost, in terms of how how hilarious he is. Um, he al- but he always did in those cartoons. Yeah, he was exactly. always, you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, like, you know, he's, he, yeah, he's the sarcastic, well, not even sarcastic, but he's the Debbie Downer, but it works. I just... Uh, He's got legit mental. As we're talking about this, I have the IMDb page up, so it just keeps showing me every character design. I'm like, no, I get it. I get it. (laughs) So Um, I I, I guess I feel like we haven't haven't spoken enough yet about uh, the implications. So, Jeff, the implications, Jeff, you're saying there's this other world, right? Yes. Okay, okay. So – um, but can only Christopher Robin and his family go to the world? Or? My understanding is that Christopher <laughs> Robin happened to live in a place where the portal appeared for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he just, as a young boy, stumbled upon it. And this universe has existed uh, beyond the other side of this portal, you know, in time memoriam. But he, <laughs> as as just, just blind luck that happened to be living in Sussex at the place where the portal first appeared. We now know from the movie, it is now canon that this portal can appear in multiple places. I know that's terrifying. That's terrifying. You guys can, <laughs> did you guys see the shining Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, yes. right? There is this moment in the shining when, uh, Jack Nicholson is talking with the ghosts right behind the, the fridge door. And, uh, they're expressing their like dissatisfaction with how things are going. And you hear this click of the door opening, right? And like they've unlocked, the refrigerator that that Jack Nicholson is in, and that is when you realize for the first time that these spirits, whatever they are, have power over the real world. Right? It's a terrifying feeling. That's exactly the emotion I had watching Pooh interact with non Christopher Robin characters in this film. Right? <laughs> is this? It's like the the reality between the, the the line between reality and and fantasy has been breached. You know, the center cannot hold. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. There's that great moment with um, great cameos with the dude from the British office and the guy from uh, all those other great British shows that I have mentioned before that, whose names I can't remember right now um, as the cop and the people on the street and, the, you know, the – the the cab driver and the cop is trying to – the cab driver is like, no, no, something horrible happened. And then they all see it. You know, they all see yeah. – who and the other the other characters, and for those characters, their <laughs> life is going to be a living hell from now on. Yes, because yes. they have three people, they have three friends that they are now linked with <laughs> in time forever. It's like all, you're basically setting up a Stephen King movie. Yes. no one will ever believe them except the three of them. Yes, and they yeah. they will all constantly call each other at two o'clock in the morning and go. I'm not crazy, right? We all saw it. We all saw it. And they'll be like, yeah, man, yeah, I can't sleep either. We saw it. Exactly, because it's very upsetting, this movie. Like, yeah. I just, how do you turn Pooh into a horror movie? And, like, yes, I love Pooh, and yes, I love horror movies. There are certain things that just do not go great together. I also love tilapia and chocolate. These are not things I need to have together. Mm, fair, to fair, enough, fair enough, fair um, enough. Uh, I would like to point out the moment that I knew that Christopher Robin was a terrible, irredeemable father. <laughs> and and that moment was when he, he knows that all his daughter wants is for him to hang out with her. He can't because he's got so so much to do, so little time. And then Pooh is like, come through the portal with me. And he's like, oh, fuck it. I'll go through the portal with you. <laughs> Rather than spending a second with his daughter, 
he goes, yeah, I'll go through the portal. What's the worst that could happen? Knowing full well, there's no time difference through the portal. He's mm-hmm. going to literally have some issues with time and he's still fine with it. He's going to go through the portal and just, you know, reminisce with old Pooh Bear rather than do the right thing, which is go and hang out with his daughter, which he could easily have done. Uh, he is a comically terrible father, right? I mean, yeah. like it is, yeah. it is hilarious how bad he is. Well, yeah. also, that's such a bummer if you watch last year's Goodbye, Christopher Robin, which was about his actual life and about how his parents actually really sucked. And, like, it's just, oh, it's such, it's not, this, these are not the things I want in my head. I just I just want my sweet little Pooh Bear, like, singing about rain clouds and being a, you know, balloon-carrying little dope. Like, I, 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 I do, I, I do want him to just thing. be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there are, yeah. Um, but, but it's, again, I, I, you know, okay. I, I think we're, we're basically done talking about this movie, but it's just like the moment when other people see Pooh interacting with the real world, right? Jeff, like you've described yeah. it as like a horror film. They're all linked. I agree. It also forces me to like recontextualize the entire rest of the film until that point, you know, like, mm. so Pooh has teleportation powers as well, right? Cause he can like. <laughs> He can open that portal like wherever he wants. It's just like what? Well, he, I mean, to say he has power <laughs> seems to suggest he has control over it, mm. which I don't think he does. Like, yes. if we're going to go that deep into the text of the movie, I think it's just that. Like, I, I don't pretend to understand it. Something about honey and childhood. I don't know. What I would like to step through, just just for clarity's sake, for the for the sake of our audience, <laughs> we should step through the moments, the what, <laughs> thirty years between. The last time Christopher Robin leaves and the next time we see Pooh Bear, there evidently has been a horrible series of events in the Hundred Acre Wood. Uh, (laughs) There has been some sort of perceived threat uh, of of, – what are they called? Uh, Heffalumps and woozles. But that that existed before. That's covered like in the opening. No, no, no. But this time, because Christopher Robin's not there, it literally caused the destruction of all their homes (laughs) – and no, just Al's toppled, right? Am I getting that wrong? I think they were all at a tea party in Al's house, and the tree f- and the the house fell over. Which well, he, the, he made it sound like it happened before. Look, Christy, you're really minimizing the, no, the how horrific. The trauma. No, yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, I mean, I do have a question. A sincere question. Hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before wait, wait, Christy, hold on, hold on. Let, let's finish making this point, which is that. <laughs> This is a horrifying sequence of – Jeff, regardless of what has happened in the 100 Acre Wood, uh, let's not ignore the fact that Christopher Robin abandoned his animals, his stuffed yeah. animals, for 30 years. Yeah. 30 years. Like yeah. just and In the it, woods. Yeah. 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 I mean – And we never ever see owl or rabbit again, right? <laughs> <laughs> you uh, mean after they – after the Huppalump situation? Yeah. yeah. What, well, I mean, what, like, what has become of them? <laughs> I think we see them again right at the end. I think we Do see we them, see right them at, the at the end. end? Yeah, I yeah. don't know. All right. Anyway, Chrissy, what were you going to say? Uh, well, I wanted to ask you guys, especially Jeff, like. Uh, do you think this is a movie that children will enjoy? Because yeah. I was surprised at the screening I went to. Often with Disney movies, you see a lot of kids there. And I think I saw one. I'm uh, so glad you brought this up. Oh, my yes. God. I, because I almost forgot to mention an anecdote. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, but <clears throat> uh, I will first answer your question, and then I will say my anecdote. Uh, I... I do not think this is a movie for kids uh, in, in particular, although I got numerous tweets all week long uh, of people saying, I brought my whole family. My kids loved it. I'm so happy. Thank you so much. We were supporting you, you know, which was lovely. Uh, I don't understand that particularly. I do think this is a movie about a, a middle-aged, uh, you know, mid- midlife crisis. And so in that sense, 
I related to it. Um, and my that brings me to my anecdote, which is, as many of our listeners know, I have two children under two years old right now, and uh, it is living hell. And <laughs> I watched. Uh, I went to a the a late show because that's the only time I can go to the movies now uh, after my children have gone to sleep and my wife is mercifully trying to get some sleep before they wake up screaming. Uh, I went to like a 9 p.m. showing uh, at – there's an AMC right across the street from my house. I don't know if you guys know that. Never heard um, of that before. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I walked over. I feel like we've touched on that. Yeah. And uh, I'm sitting there and – I want you to understand I'm not exaggerating this when I say to you a husband and wife walked in with what I can only describe as a newborn, <laughs> a newborn child. I I have very, very recent experience with this because my daughter just turned three months old. This child was younger than my daughter. OK. <laughs> and I my jaw fell open because I thought, who does this? These, there's no universe in which that child is going to survive through this movie. There's no the audacity of these people to bring a newborn child into this theater. Why are we not all as one voice standing up and saying, no, get out boo, of here. How, boo how, to how, you, family. How dare you bring a newborn into a movie? A movie. A two-hour movie. A <laughs> newborn? My child can't last five minutes without screaming her head off. Uh, I, 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 I couldn't believe what it was I was witnessing and they sat directly in the row in front of me. And so through the entire beginning of the movie, I was l- l- like the first two minutes. I'm like, here we go. That kid's as soon as this music comes on, that kid's going to start screaming. And what are they going to do? Are they going to walk out with, are they going to stand and do the right thing and leave? I'm not kidding to you guys. This was a newborn child. And it, the, the woman like rocked back and forth with it and held it and, and nuzzled it. it. It didn't make a peep. About an hour into the movie, it started going <laughs> – and so she stood up and left, came back in. Two minutes later, it survived the whole rest of the movie and I was like, I, I hate you people <laughs> so much for the, the incredible lottery win that you got upon the birth of your child. Because that shouldn't be possible. And the fact that you know that you can do that is offensive to me on every level. And the fact that you got away with it, I just I couldn't believe it. I couldn't I could not believe it. They took that opportunity to go to a movie and pick Christopher Robin. Well, Christy, they, they clearly can do this anytime they want. <laughs> exactly. Why pick that movie? It's like movie pass. You're like, a, why not? We can movie go going child. This is a movie going child, is what they got. They got a movie going <laughs> child. All okay, right. so I hate them. I hate um, these people. <laughs> I, I agree with Jeff in that I don't think young children would particularly like this movie. I think they'd get really restless and bored. I base that on my uh, my experiences with my nieces, where I feel like this is way too many just a pe- like uh, adults talking about business and downsizing and why would they care about that. And I just want to throw out also Haley Atwell's in this movie, which I was really excited by, but she gets very little to do as the neglected wife who gets to look stern and smile with beautiful lipstick on. Um, so if you're a Haley Atwell fan, I don't think you need to be a completist and watch Christopher Robin. Mm. All right. She's, <laughs> she's surprisingly well adjusted to the idea of living creatures from beyond the portal. I mean, I feel like her day only got better at that point because she was like on the brink of like leaving her husband because he's like, look, I love you, blah, 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 blah. But did I tell you about how important managing efficiency is, managing efficiency is in luggage? <laughs> 
right. And the, 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 the pure economic logic of pay your people to go on vacation so they'll buy your luggage. It's is... basically Christopher Robin invents the middle class is how that movie ends. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really understand how that worked, but cool. Yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty terrible. Um, okay, well, I think uh, those are our thoughts on Christopher Robin. This conversation really <laughs> took some crazy turns, guys. Very yeah, much like the film exciting. itself. Yeah. Um, all right. That's all for today's episode of the Slash Filmcast. Find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Christy, where can people find more of your work on the internet? I write all over the interwebs, but I write every day at pajiba.com. And you can find career highlights at decadentcriminals.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Christy Putchko. That's K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And as I said, I'm going to go on vacation soon, which I'm very excited about. So if you have beach read suggestions, podcast suggestions, or audiobook suggestions, please send them out to me at Christy Putchko because I'm in that zone. How about you, Jeff Kanata? Uh, I'm in a different zone. Oh, that's not the question you're asking. Um, <laughs> I'm at Jeff Kanata on Twitter with is spelled with two N's and two <laughs> two N's and one T. And uh, <laughs> you've um, forgotten how to spell your name, Jeff. Yeah, that happens when you have two kids. Uh, I do another show. It's all about video games. It's called it's called DLC. You can find it at five by five TV slash DLC. I hope you check it out. I appreciate it. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net. On Twitter, at DaveChensky. That's DaveChensky. Next week, we'll be discussing The Meg. The Meg. Guys, if there's one thing I want you to take away from this week's episode of the podcast, go see The Meg. Because uh, <laughs> Dave discussing... doesn't want me to win. <laughs> it's not so much you specifically. It's more like I want to beat everyone else. I, I w- I'm very excited to, for this week to get lots of... Uh, tweets of pictures of movie stubs that are not the Meg. That are not the Meg. (laughs) (laughs) People with a little arrow that says not Meg. I would love that. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys later. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your wing cut. Technician James Wigington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.